It's not just about doing something, it's about the mentality and the psyche behind why and how that helps you in other aspects of life. What gives you a competitive edge as a founder is... I burnt out when I was about 29, 30. There is that thing of like, I've got grind, I've got to be up and I've got to get on. Letting people down and the trouble that I caused myself was so much more of an opportunity cost for me than taking a bit of a step back. And on the health side of things, God doesn't make a difference. Are you doing anything else at the moment? You know, you have to take care of your health and you have to take care of yourself. I can tell you right now that... Welcome, Josh. Really good to have you here, buddy. No, it's all good to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Where are you tuning in from at the moment? You're in London, if I'm not mistaken, right? I am, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, Bermondsey, as we'll get onto you later, I'm ah, sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, it's in the name, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it, man. Proper Bermondsey boy. It's uh, yeah. it's wonderful. Um, yeah, we were talking sort of last week, I think it was or the week before that, yeah. about kind of the stuff that you're working on. Um, and you went for the oh, name yeah. Bermondsey Ventures, which, which we'll talk a lot about today. Um, but love, love that you went for that name, proper representative of, uh, of London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you, th did you pick that name just because it's where you grew up and kind of where, where you come from or just because you thought? No, no. Okay. I'm actually, I'm actually from West London, so oh, no I'm, way. I'm a oh, wow. originally, but yeah, I, I finally came south of the river a while ago and I, I've just, I've put fed enough with the place and <laughs> there's a lot of history me. here. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, I love it. I'm a bit obsessed to be honest. So yeah. Definitely. Um, it's good, it's, yeah. Do you like it there in South London? Are you enjoying Bermondsey right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely love it. You know, it's, uh, it's a nice part of town. I like being close when we were just talking about it, but I like being close, close to the river, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah, there's a lot of history here, right? Yeah. So that was part of the reason of choosing the name because it's kind of, there was a personal attachment, but I did it's also a historical attachment to it all that, that I felt was pretty relevant. So yeah. Definitely. I mean, we, we'll touch later on maybe on how your friends from West London feel about that. Maybe they, they feel like <laughs> you've sold out a little bit, but we'll, we'll see. Um, but I guess listeners here are mainly interested in some of the stuff you've been working on, man. So you're an angel investor, um, you're a past founder, you've uh, run companies, you've managed companies, you've worked in senior teams before. You've got a wealth of experience just when it comes to startups and, and, and general business. Um, so really good to have you here because I'm sure you're going to be able to offer a lot of insights you know, into the founders who are listening and, and investors listening interested in the space as well. Um, but maybe let's start just, you know, we'll start from now and then we can maybe go back in time and talk about some previous stuff. Tell us a bit more about Bermondsey Ventures. I'm assuming that's what you're spending the majority of your time on right now, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, to be fair, I have literally just finished the postgrad, which was taking up most of my time. But yeah, so the last few wow, weeks are now congrats. very much just on Bermondsey Ventures. Yeah, it's good. It was nice to get the uh, the final assignment in. It was a really enjoyable experience. So it's a bit bittersweet, you know, you miss it, but at the same time, I'm very glad that I can kind of just crack on with uh, with the business now. So, um, Absolutely. So yeah, all good. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and the postgrad um, was uh, with, is that the Oxford one or is that the MI? Yeah. Yeah, Oxford one. That was at Oxford. Yeah, and, yeah. So it's a great experience. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's good school, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely a bit different. Yeah. I mean, it's actually something I'd, I'd maybe love to touch on a little bit later as well, but just kind of what the experience was like, because I know a lot of people think about doing whether it be an MBA or whatever it is, uh, um, Oxford Business School, you know, and, and whether you can offer some insight in that would be cool. But let's start with yeah, Bermondsey, yeah, man. Sure. Let's, let's start with that. So now, cool, now yeah. you've finished your postgrad, which is exciting. Congratulations <laughs> yeah. on that. And, yeah, um, nice and you're able to focus a bit more on, on Bermondsey Ventures, which is really yeah. exciting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's something that's been building for a while. I've been thinking about it for probably the best part of a decade, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, I always kind of realized, actually, what's, what's quite funny about it for me is that I didn't realize I was getting to startups when I started businesses when I was younger. I just knew that I wanted to do something. And so I started building a business around it. I didn't know anybody in the industry I wanted to get into. 
So then next thing you know, did it once, did it twice, started getting involved in bigger businesses that were kind of startups as such. And then next thing you know, it's kind of became a bit of a, a, a habit for me. But um, but yeah, so Bermondsey Ventures is a bit of a chance to basically get around a load of different ideas, work with loads of really interesting co-founders and build businesses that I feel are important. Um, and just have that liberty to be able to do multiple startups. You know, it was it was something that came up in a conversation over there actually to do with, you know, um, being, you know, a parallel founder, being a serial founder, you know, all these different kind of ways of approaching things. But for me, I actually like spinning loads of plates at once. I like having a lot of different things going on. And the reason I got into what I did in the first place anyway, was I really genuinely do like helping people. So being an artist manager, which is my first job, you know, that was very much about trying to help people figure out how to get into the entertainment space, how to build out their careers. And I feel like it's exactly the same here, you know, I'm helping founders or people with ideas, concepts, whatever. People just want to go out and do something different where we can provide an idea into them, but they can run the show. That kind of thing really kind of excites me. And so basically that's how Bermondsey Ventures was born. This episode is brought to you by EcoSwap. EcoSwap is bringing together the UK's favourite eco-friendly high street brands onto a single gift card, allowing you to give the gift of choice, where your loved ones can choose from brands such as The Body Shop, Rituals, Toast Brewing, The National Trust, and many, many more. And our gift to our listeners is 10% off your first purchase with EcoSwap when you use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. What sets EcoSwap apart is their commitment to sustainability and ethics. They meticulously curate their brand selection, ensuring that each one meets rigorous standards set by esteemed certifiers such as B Corp, 1% for the Planet, Climate Neutral, or they're a UK registered charity. With EcoSwap, you're not just giving a gift. You're choosing to support the UK's best brands that are genuinely committed to benefiting both people and planet. So go ahead, give an EcoSwap gift card today. Visit ecoswap.uk and use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. That's good for profit with no spaces for your 10% off your first order today. Wow, incredible. So very organic build up to get into yeah. the, the base where you are now. Um, what did you enjoy about working with, with artists? I mean, that that's uh, managing artists is something that is a, it's a job I found really interesting because creatives are often very, very talented, but can really lack that business side of things. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of like that kind of business acumen or knowing how to negotiate deals and so on. And they just kind of want to yeah. focus on being creative and doing that part. Did you find that's kind of, at least that, that was my impression working with creatives in the past, but did you find that to be the case or kind of what was that like managing artists? It it really varies. I mean, I, I do think I found that a lot of times, but I actually really found that there are a lot of people who really know their business as well. And so as a manager or anybody in their team, it really kind of varies what the role is. For some people, you are very much everything, right? You manage all of their admin, everything. They don't turn up for a session unless it's literally like you book the car for them to turn up, you know. They don't know about their accounts or anything like that. So you have to be really hands-on. And there are other people who are very much like, all I want you to look after is X. And so you basically just do that for them, even though you're their manager, because they might have much more kind of, uh, yeah, just just experience or they want to be more in control of their business. So it's really on a spectrum. But it's a really okay. fascinating job for sure, because you're managing a business that is realistically like one, two, five people. There's not really much more to it. The business itself can become huge. Um, and actually in startup world, some of these music artists' businesses are absolutely phenomenal, right? They're 13 odd unicorns, if not beyond, right? So it's pretty crazy when you consider it's realistically one individual. Um, but yeah, what you do for them is, is really, really varied. But I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's something I always wanted to do. And I was very lucky to be able to kind of get into it and to have the success I did, you know? So much of it is... Um, kind of finger in the air sort of which way is the wind blowing and and in a lot of serendipity and, and luck along the way which is why i think from a vc perspective or a finance perspective the industry is shaped in the way that it is and not a lot of people kind of get involved unless it's to do with some sort of tech or 
you know, another play within it. On the creative side, it's very difficult because you can't really quantify or qualify how someone's career is going to go. It's very much up to so many things, which, uh, look, don't be wrong, there's obviously a lot of headwinds and other things that can sideswipe people when it comes to startup world. But again, I think in a very uh, competitive industry where realistically the individual is the product, it can become, yeah, very, very difficult to realistically know whether someone's going to actually kind of go there. And I think the best managers out there, best A&Rs and those sorts of people, on the creative side of managing the creatives end up being people that are able to you know really kind of mitigate the risk on what that success might look like you know and increase the amount of chances that somebody might have so the core talent is obviously a base of it but again the way the world has changed and part of the reason for Burmese Ventures now is because you know you don't just you can never really just rely on the talent but now more than ever right it's so much more about brands social media can they interact with other people can they be in real life and engage with fans and build their network but can they also do that really successfully online and so i think the the role of a manager has also shifted and actually become really important um in terms of providing a solution that actually does enhance the chances an artist might have whereas before the manager wasn't really that integral in terms of that it was more strategic and business deals whereas now it's like actually you're really part of the brand building that's going on so the, this industry shifted quite a lot. I mean, we're going to definitely dig into that as well, like how the industry's changed over time with artists. But um, on that manager side of things, so you talked about the individual, the individual is the product, right? As in their talent and, and everything else and how they talk to customers, well, not customers, but listeners or fans or whatever, right? How is How has the industry worked around the moral side of that if that makes sense because the moment that someone like as an individual becomes productized in some way shape or form well not in the literal sense but you know the moment there's something that's being produced around them that's when sort of certain you know that's when we hear a lot of stories about you know artists getting effed over in some way or another by 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 other corporates so how is that kind of what's the conversation around the indian in the industry between managers between artists yeah, I mean, look, that's part of the reason a manager's there, right, is to try and manage that relationship with industry so that they protect the talent. Um, you know, I'm not saying every manager does do that, because it's certainly not the case, but that is the point of the representation. Um, I do think that there is some balance around it, but, you know, record labels are always getting in trouble in terms of their rights management. Look at royalties coming from streaming platforms, you know, artists who are having streams but not being able to make a career out of it anymore is a big problem. So I don't think that there's necessarily been, you know, the extent of... Um, of kind of moral equilibrium that we would like to see. But that's a great across all entertainment. And I think to your point, when people are the product, it's very difficult. But going back to what I said earlier, you know, that's a big driver for me is, and always has been, is that the type of talent that are very business aware and are very good in managing relationships um, often don't find themselves at the sour end of the industry. But mm -hmm. oftentimes, unfortunately, the kind of people who go into it thinking, you know, my music is going to do the talking or my creativity is going to, you know, provide the solution for me to have the career I want and then come out jaded because industry has treated them really poorly. You know, that's a sad story that you don't really ever want to see. But unfortunately, it is probably more the case because how successful people are is like, you know, it used to be one in 10 when I first went into history. I think it's much, much worse less than that now. And, you know, so it's very, very tough. And I think if people go in there without the business awareness that, you know, you really kind of need to survive in those spaces, then you can kind of get chewed up. And I think that's really the thing where a lot of it still happens, even as mature as the, the industry kind of is. And I've seen this recently with the maturity of the, or the maturing of the creator economy and creators becoming businesses themselves. But there are huge differences there where a music talent or a football player, for example, come into it where it is very much based upon their talent. And then the rest of it is kind of structured around that, right? And some of them don't really kind of go in there with business driving it. But to be a creator, 
you really have to understand a lot more about your own business. And most of the time, before you're getting representation, you're actually starting to monetize your business. So, and you don't have the same, like in the music world, you go to a lawyer first and foremost, and they put structure around there, try and kind of protect you again from the industry. Creators don't really have that same kind of thing. So they have to have a little bit more, um, I would say they have to be a little bit more business savvy, but again, you know, that's not a general rule. Like there's a lot of agencies out there, a lot of managers out there and a lot of creators out there who are really kind of just acting in a kind of, you know, very green way, unfortunately. So yeah, it's a difficult one to get around. Well, when you say careers, what do you mean by creators? So influencers, basically, any, any digital online talent, yeah, anyone creating content. Okay, so, okay, interesting. So at some point I need to get some good lawyers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it is a hard one, man. Like I think, you know, you're, like, it's interesting, you know, people come into it now, so like B2B creators and influencers and stuff, and it's like, actually, what's the role for a manager in that case? Because realistically, people already know about business. They're coming in, they're doing a podcast that's based around business because you know about it, you have experience, you're looking to kind of develop that and have interesting conversations. So at least very, very different role, I think. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely the opportunity there, though. Man's crazy how much opportunity there is in it all, right? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've been just kind of carrying on with that theme. I've been quite interested with some of the stuff that's happening in the Web3 world. And I'm going to be, I'm going to say that with a big caveat because, you know, a lot of it, there's a lot of rubbish out there, if, if I'm to put it bluntly. Uh, but I'm also interested in some of the work that's being done around how to enable creatives to you know, have better IP rights and, and all sorts of things. Have you been in, involved in any of that stuff? Um, a little bit. I mean, I, I know a lot of people who are much more at the cold face with it. Um, you know, I, I definitely took more of an active role when NFTs first became a kind of thing. Marketing agency we had at the time started helping people do drops, that sort of stuff. Um, but, but the reality of it is, is that um, it's not really for me right now. You know, I think it's, there's an opportunity there. Uh, you know, look, don't be wrong, I've dabbled in my crypto, blockchain, all I the rest think, of it, I right? But anyone... the reality of it, yeah, I think anyone who can capitalize on some of these market trends, you know, why the hell not? Yeah, well. well, exactly. But the thing is, I think that if you're looking to, from a talent perspective, if you're looking for an authentic relationship with your audience, unfortunately, most of the stories to do with this, like NFTs and, and other variations of like breaking down royalties and breaking up tracks and buying segments, etc. All of that has basically led to fans actually resenting in ways the talent, depending on how it's been done, because they've not really been worth what the, the the kind of dream or hope was that they would be and that the engagement with the with the with the audience I think has fallen short so to be honest I try and stick to the kind of very basic you know how do you manage a very core authentic relationship with your fan base you know super fans are the thing that everybody talks about right now super fans are the sort of people that buy your web3 products um but that's not necessarily what you want to be providing for them unless it's a real product that is actually going to be of benefit for them or something long term that they're actually going to be interested in and don't be wrong there are a lot of platforms coming up and other ways that people are exploring this but to be honest for me personally it's just not really something that you know has ever really kind of felt that um you know uh, integral for me at the moment or, or anybody i work with to be fair yeah i mean being able to engage on a more personal level, I suppose that's what every fan wants with a creator that they love, right? Is that they want to be able to engage with them on a personal level and almost feel like they're having a one-to-one -one lunch with them, I suppose, right? Yeah. And so I suppose yeah. that's what kind of Web3 is trying to enable in some way, but you're saying it's falling, it's falling short. Well, I think there's a lot of examples where it has done. I do think there's a lot of people out there building some good stuff, but that, again, it's not something that I personally am, am, am too in, involved with. But I think a good example of this to me is also to do with, say, like OnlyFans, right? OnlyFans started out as a platform where it was meant to be for celebrities and superfans to be able to have an engagement together. Some still use it, it in that way today, right? Yeah, but for sure. Yeah, the core of the business has obviously moved on yeah, beyond yeah. that. But I think that's, again, a, an example of the fact that there are 
there's no sort of guarantee that providing that solution or bringing people closer together in that way, super phone relationship, is actually going to work. And so just another example of, of that sort of thing for me. It's a good product, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually what the fans are after. Yeah, I think it's a really, it, OnlyFans is such an interesting example of just how kind of primitive, I suppose, uh, we, we are in some sense. F follow the money. Where does the money go? Well, <laughs> um, but very successful business in its own right. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about Berman's Adventure. So it was born out of you working with a lot of creatives. You managed a lot of creatives and did a lot of stuff with them. Um, you said as well, you had a marketing agency. So you've obviously been involved in a lot of different sides of business. Yeah. And I'm presuming that you thought, let's bring it all together and do something around creatives through Berman's Adventures. Yeah. I wanted a business model that was more um, liberating, basically, than, say, starting another talent management company or IP-based business. Um, so I felt Berman's Adventures and, you know, the studio model was the most, you know, relevant, basically. Um, yeah, and, you know, the things sorry, just a quick yeah. one. For listeners who don't yes, know sorry, what a studio yeah. model is, uh, can, can yeah. you just quickly explain what that is? Yeah, so Adventure Studio is basically a business that um, develops, funds, um, establishes new ventures, basically. So rather than being a VC further along the line and investing, you know, in an early stage of Series A, etc., we basically actually come up with the idea of bringing a co-founder to run them. Or when a co-founder brings an idea to us, we help them actually build that business and take it from conception through to the point where it might go into a further raise or ideally we bootstrap and kind of keep it on going basically. So a studio is a model that allows you to get involved very, very, very early stage basically and take ideas of our own um, through, but without actually having to be the sole developer and builder of those businesses. So we find, you know, interesting co-founders to be able to, uh, to develop them with us. Okay. Amazing. So that's what a venture studio is. And so we, you at the moment with Bermondsey Ventures, you're thinking of, well, you are working on, on some things in that. Um, are you able to share at this point what sort of model you're thinking of going into or is it is it, is it sort of uh, yeah okay yeah yeah definitely i mean look for, for me again part of this was about liberating um you know the businesses that we wanted to get involved in the ideas that we wanted to have so we could just experiment and test right so when i first actually left my last role one of the things i explored was is it worth doing a fund and what i really realized was that what I'm passionate about is very much the early stage stuff, you know, having ideas, be able to experiment without any pressure, without any responsibility to, you know, institutional investors or anything else, basically. So that's the whole point of this. So we've got a marketing agency that's launched already, um, that's uh, already working with the majority of sort of major record labels, big management companies, that sort of thing, where we basically help put eyes and ears on like cultural moments, particularly live events. Um, so that's going really well. That's a very, you know, with a couple of really successful kind of co-founders there. So, so that's the first one that we kind of launched. We're launching a production company focused on social first into long form content because that's where it seems to be going. You know, 45% um, of what Gen Z watches on YouTube. So I think there's something to be said there. So basically like we've got management companies as well. So we're managing artists, we're managing wait, 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 musicians. Let's, 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 let's touch on that for a bit Let's touch on that for a bit first. So social first into long form. What, what, what is yeah. that? So basically like working on, again, it's about um, developing ideas, being able to experiment. So working with talent, working on ideas that we have on ourselves and actually launching IP content series, whatever it might be that we want to do, can be one-offs obviously, but basically doing them on social first. So developing them across social media platforms, obviously predominantly YouTube, but that can be TikTok, it can be Instagram. And then basically once we have traction, then we build something that is obviously a larger opportunity that then goes into along the form. So everybody wins along the along the way. It seems to be there's a lot of production companies that are coming up around that. You're seeing a lot more talent 
start to do that. So if you look at a lot of YouTubers, a lot of their content is going longer and longer and longer. Um, and so I think it kind of shows the trends that are kind of going on. So we kind of wanted to go into that because I guess the point on this for me with Bermondsey Ventures is that I love the idea of working with corporates and I've worked with some amazing people at corporates. I've been really, really lucky with that. But at the same time, corporates are by nature behemoths and they do struggle to kind of keep on top of stuff. And even innovative creative businesses still have core competencies and core revenue streams. So Bermondsey Ventures, I really want to eventually be like somewhere that is always at the forefront. So we're starting a business that is the next trend of anything. And, you know, so what we're doing is starting safer bets, I guess, until we can start to get a little bit more innovative with it all. But even this business, the production company, is something that, you know, traditional production companies are struggling to shift over to because they're obviously so reliant on traditional ways of, of making content and monetizing them. So, yeah. Is that because they don't have the expertise in-house or is that just because they've got too much process set up already and it's hard to navigate through that? Yeah, unfortunately, the conversations I've been having say the latter, so that it's just very difficult for them to do. And actually, there are a lot of people there who do have the skill sets and awareness, but it's very difficult for the, their bosses or whoever else to actually allow them to go on that journey because, as you say, the business is kind of, you know, stuck over there, Might really. so be into existing revenue happens. or something in, in some way. Yeah, or exactly. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of opportunity. And so use, actually, and a lot of... Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I was just going to say, so a lot of people who even do leave those companies and set up businesses on their own, they actually get dragged back into the traditional way because that's where the money is initially. So, you know, they might leave saying, oh, I don't want to go to TV or Netflix or whatever, but actually because they're doing so well, still, there's still opportunity in them, particularly obviously Netflix, um, they kind of get dragged in that direction. And so they don't get the chance to do the experimentation and the ideation. Is there a lot of opportunity in Netflix? So again, for the layman, for the layman's ears, for people who aren't involved in the industry, um, uh, there's a lot of news going around with, you know, Disney Plus coming out and all these different things coming out, making it harder for Netflix. Um, it, are things shifting in the world or are they kind of still going for a little while? What, what's that looking like? I think Netflix, yeah, the, the, the latest failure I've seen is that Netflix are, are right, but places like Disney, as you say, are really struggling. But again, it goes back to this thing of if you're, you know, 19 years old, let's just say, and you've got all these options and they're not cheap, right? 10 quid a month or whatever it is, each subscription. So you pick one. Um, which seems to be Netflix right now, and you go onto YouTube and you watch all the content creators and everybody else that you're into. So it does seem like um, places like Disney, even though they're delivering really high-quality content, same as Apple TV and stuff, they're really struggling to capture uh, younger audiences. So I don't know what, you know, these are smart businesses, huge businesses, so I'm sure they'll come up with ways to engage people. But if you actually look at the um, the data and the kind of the, the monetization that's happening on these platforms, like some of them are really struggling, even big brands. So, But Netflix does seem to be carrying on as a bit of an anomaly and actually with their changes like they changed the subscription thing with all the friends and everything else and you know only one login etc and that sort of thing seems to have really changed um the course of their business because at that point it was looking like it was okay well where's netflix gonna go now but at least for the moment it seems like it's kind of you know it's it's uh it's kept them on track so yeah but all these platforms this is the thing because it ties into the creative side a lot of these platforms it's like where do you go horizontally at this point like uh, Spotify, for instance, looking at live tickets and all these other things that they've looked at. And it's like, actually, it's very difficult. It's much more difficult, I think, for these businesses to provide multiple um, solutions for people, even as a subscription model, right? So, you know, Netflix moving into live with WWE is a really interesting maneuver, for instance, you know, Amazon doing sports, et cetera. So that's the ways they kind of do it at the moment. But there's only so much content that there is out there in the world and so many sports events that actually have viewers that you can you can get the uh, the rights to. So I don't know, it'd be interesting to see how I these mean, things continue. I mean, for now, we'll definitely touch on AI later on uh, and the role that it be, may play or will play in all of this. But 
for now, let, let's park that one because uh, that's a much deeper discussion. Um, but on on Netflix, kind of, and then those companies. So, why do nineteen year olds prefer to just go on YouTube and watch their favorite creators, or are they actually paying for for these things? Ah, uh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, a bit, a bit of a mixture. But realistically, I mean, if you don't have to, right? I don't think that you do. Um, and which is why is the importance of obviously brands communicating through creators. You know, um, for instance. YouTube's definitely one of the most expensive in terms of placements for brands, right? Um, and there's a reason for that. But, you know, I think just if you're looking at the the, the length of videos and the fact it's going up and up and up, and you look at like the quality I mean, of content. TikTok is allowing, um, is allowing long form now, aren't they? If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Moving towards it. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think that um, there's this land grab for them all. I mean, it's like Mr. Beast with X and stuff like that. It's like everybody needs these people on their platforms. Um and yeah, if you look at what's happening with YouTube and the fact that kids are willing to watch and say kids, but like, don't be in the leading way, but are, are willing to, to watch. old um, fellas, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly, somebody, exactly. But like, you know, they're, they're willing to watch longer form content on YouTube and that really does speak volumes. You know, they're really interested in these people. They know them, right? There's that engagement on a personal level, which I think is really hard to do because a lot of content is gets put out on, on other channels other than the obvious where you do have that human relationship that people obviously love, whether it be you know, Love Islands or whatever, a lot of it's to do with acting and everything else, right? So you don't have that same thing. Whereas Mr. Beast rolls something out, it's not the same, right? It's a different type of content, different style of content that people are engaging with. And I think that's what really young audiences are after, which is why they're also willing to watch somebody they know play a computer game. You know, it's that kind of personal relationship that I think really exists with creators that, you know, is quite unique, actually. It's I think quite fascinating. Socials. It really is quite fascinating. I mean, I definitely feel like I, I have a relationship with certain podcasters that I listen to a lot, and, and they do long form, you know, like Lex Friedman, for example. Yeah. Um, I feel like if I see him on the street, I'll be like, oh, hey, how's it going, man? It's been a while. Like, you know, I feel like yeah, yeah. I've listened to that guy. I'm, I'm one of his top 0.5% listeners, by the way, just just FYI. So, yeah, so I do it. <laughs> so, yeah, if he's listening, shout out, man. Um, <laughs> but he's... Um, I, I get that. I see that. That kind of it feels like that. Um, one of the things that I found really interesting that was talked about on a podcast somewhere, I can't remember which one it was, was the comparison that was made between a someone of our generation, let's say, or or, or older generation even, and a younger generation, uh, person with a younger generation, say like I don't know, 15, 16, 17-year-old, and they're walking down the road and so they see Leonardo DiCaprio and... Or, or whatever, or Morgan Freeman or something, I don't know, and and Mr. Beast. And then who's going to chat to who, right? As in like, so like the, the younger generation probably won't even recognize who the actor is unless they're really big and they've seen them in other movies. But realistically, they're probably going to want to go and chat with Mr. Beast rather than, right? This is a problem that, that Hollywood's having, right? It's breaking new stars. It's very, very difficult um, when there's, it's because there's just so much content out there. There's so much. And this is one of the things that I think is really interesting about entertainment. And again, why I wanted to kind of broaden up our opportunity is because it's all converged, really. Like musicians have to be creators. Creators have to be cooks or whatever else it might be that is their niche, right? It's like comedians or whatever, right? And their comedians are also have their socials and everything's kind of coming into this. Everyone's competing in the same space and the people kind of fueling that are brands, you know? Um, and so it's also comes this interesting thing about where you guys come to AI as well, where it's like, IP, what's the relationship between audiences and, and talent and IP? Is it that a musician moving forward is just going to have their 2 million followers on their socials and they sell their music direct to those fans? You know, that could be a very lucrative business for people, but it cuts out record labels. So then it comes, because that's the, if you look at the economics of musicians, you have 
record labels who pay advances, etc. And then all the way down the line before the artist gets paid from, you know, distributor, which is obviously Spotify, etc. Yeah, let's now, go, let's the artists, go through them if you can. Like, go into as many... Uh, yeah. Yeah, as many steps as you want to go into, but we'll be really interested to kind of get the overview cool. of the industry, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's always been this kind of way in music where you've had retailers. So it used to be CDs, vinyls, etc., record stores. But now it's obviously Spotify, the digital service provider. Then they pay the record label. Next to nothing. The record label. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, they paid well, I mean, next to nothing. My bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it. How it kind of filters down. Okay. This is the argument is that, so you have different, it's also very convoluted the music industry. You don't really have, there's publishers and there's various other things in there, right? So rights are broken up. So the artist in essence gets paid at the end of the food chain, right? Now this, so manager, et cetera, then the, you know, the commissions, et cetera, all in there. But realistically, the artist is other people that have been earning along the way. And as a manager in that exchange, you take your commission off the end of the artist, right? Whereas as a manager in a creator economy, although it's still kind of a bit opaque in the sense the brand pays X agency, X agency, X agency, and then you get paid. The reality of it is, is that actually the relationship with the brand and the talent is so much closer than the relationship with the musician and Spotify, basically. And so you do find that there's this argument that all the way down, particularly in the rates that record labels have traditionally basically charged in, in terms of their ownership of it and what the royalty is they pay onto the artist, which was originally based around a variety of things, including manufacturing and various other costs. Now, they don't really have those cost outlays. It is an argument that's quite strong, which is why you're seeing a development in independent artists. But I do think, again, this is where it's quite interesting for me is that where the independent artist goes in the long run, right? What that exchanges with audience, because again, brand goes to creator, creator goes direct to audience, brand knows exactly what's going on, you know? Um, whereas again, you know, musician makes record, it goes to manager, it goes to publisher, it goes to label, then it goes to the SB, and it goes through all these different processes, right? Before it actually reaches the market. So it's much more convoluted than, uh, than the creator economy, which is why a lot of people from an industry perspective, a managers and agents really love the creator economy because you can manage loads of people and you can make loads of money because it's a growing space and your direct relationship is with the partner that you want it with as opposed to having to go through third parties mm. unnecessarily in, in, in many arguments. Don't be wrong, I'm still for record labels. Like We work with a lot of record labels and there's no global artist ever who hasn't relied upon a major global, sorry, a major record label at some point. So there's a strong argument for why record labels exist. But, you know, there is this thing about increasing opportunity for independent artists. It's been going on for decades now, but yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, getting signed by Universal, for example, by Acom, by a big record label, like, is that still, does it still go as far as it used to, by just, just saying, oh yeah, I got signed by blah, blah, blah. Is that yeah. all power? Well, the sad thing for me, I think, is that you have lost the record label identity. You know, you don't go in and buy a record because it's put out by X label and they were kind of the tastemakers as such. So you certainly don't have that anymore, but, from an industry perspective, going out and doing a deal with X record label certainly does validate a lot of stuff and also opens up a lot of doors. And they are they have great people in those buildings, great label bosses, great A&R people, great marketing people. So you do have that whole team, but you can do that at subsidiaries of those major record labels now in terms of an independent relationship. So you can sign to a body that is already part of that large organization, but on a, on a different deal structure, which is what a lot of people are doing. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, there is definitely... A, a need for global organizations like record labels to blow up but it just depends on what your deal is and what your relationship is with that party moving forward you know and this is happening again all across entertainment right sports personalities relationships with clubs and with brands has been changing for ages you know and to your point about the moral dilemma of it all is as individuals become more powerful obviously they have larger 
bargaining power. So when it comes to doing a deal with a record label, you can argue anything by the time you're a Adele or Ed Sheeran or whoever else, right? So, you know, it's, yeah, it's one of those. I don't think it's very different to a lot of other markets. Do you know what I mean? It's realistically like, what's the value and what someone needs to pay for you or, or, or your product? Yeah, I mean, it's quite fascinating. Uh, I'm seeing kind of similarities between big venture capital firms that get to invest in the the hottest startups and founders and, you know, the biggest record labels that get to uh, get the artists and sort of, you know, compete over them and so on. So quite interesting. Um, so with Bermondsey Ventures, what you're thinking, what you're doing at the moment, you mentioned you've got the marketing agency, you mentioned one more that you're working on. And can you tell us a bit more about kind of how you want to tie in all these things together? Well, they do. I mean, I think if you're representing an artist in a traditional sense of an artist, now brands are really important for those guys and you have to have socials there, et cetera. And then once that artist starts to break, then you need to figure out what the long form content is. So it is very much a, a, it's just a different business model for the same thing that's been going on, which is the large agencies or management companies. But again, it just allows us to be more flexible in the businesses that we're backing and also allows us to motivate and allow you know, for better deals with the co-founders, right? Rather than being a division head, it's like, well, actually, no, this is your company. And we're just a partner in it and we'll help support you. Um, and I think that's really, really important because I want to work with those types of people. And actually, over the years, I've found that there were there are a lot of great people who would otherwise be doing their own thing, but basically haven't had a structure like this. It's not a normal model in this space. Most of the capital flow is through the large corporates in, uh, in, in entertainment. Um, so it's very much on their agenda or where they're trying to push things or whatever else, whereas this is kind of just trying to be very... Uh, uh, open realistically to, to any sort of ideas. So we are definitely looking at other kind of tech plays and we're definitely looking at, you know, we could talk about AI, as you said earlier, we are definitely looking at really interesting sort of things there. But again, it's like, um, you know, I think that we're particularly early stage where you really kind of, you've got to put a lot of effort in and, um, you know, when you have successes, the, the wins are much higher, but your chances of success are obviously, you know, very different. So I think you have to go where the smart business is as well as the innovation. It can't be too, um, you know, it can't be too experimental because the business still has to make money. So it's almost like, okay, what's the next iteration? Monetize that and then start to push it forward, which is what we're doing in the marketing agency as an example. So yeah, it's good. It's fun so far. Um, no, it sounds I'm enjoying it. it. Yeah, 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 it yeah. sounds it. It yeah. sounds like you have a good balance as well because it's very tempting for entrepreneurial founders to just simply want to go for the innovation and build something that's going to quote unquote disrupt and do a whole bunch of things but not necessarily think about the term you use which is smart business and think about you know the profit and how and how we're going to make money and where's it going to come from how profit driven are you in the sense that you know obviously there's there's top line revenue uh the money the business makes on an annual basis or, or however you measure that but then there's also profit which is what you actually take home at the end of the day how um i'm not explaining this for you i'm explaining this for listeners who may not know the terms um how how focused are you on, on either of those? And Because typically venture builders will tend to follow, or VCs rather, or startups will tend to be a little bit more revenue driven and less profit driven. At least that has been the main model for a long time now, but it is changing. Um, what's, what's your outlook on that? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny because I think by chance I've ended up starting a business where I do think is going, like generally the macro level, where I do think profit is really important. Um, I don't, you know, I, I love early stages, I said earlier, right? But you can't, I don't think, rely upon early, certainly not in my situation, I'm not sitting here self-funding a business that has loads and loads of capital that's able to kind of just um, just kind of go for it, right? So there's an element of a fiscal responsibility there. But um, at the same time, it's like, I really just think there's no reason for these businesses to not be profitable very early on. Marketing agencies are already profitable. 
you know, the production company, uh, as we moving into that is very much already generating money because the opportunity is there, right? We have clients, we know who's, who's, who we're selling to, and we've got the experience there. And also if, you know, service-based businesses realistically are very cash positive, you know, we're charging for our time, either a rate or a commission or whatever else. So there's no real reason we build the team as we build the profit. So I think that's very simple. It's why I like actually, so I went on the journey again with all of this when I went studying, et cetera, and I looked at all these other businesses and I had all these brand ideas. Um, and I do still like the idea of um, at least some point really going on the inside of a corporate because I've always done it kind of a bit disjointed. But realistically, um, I do think that um, the the really interesting stuff is kind of, is is is, is happening where, where we're at. And, you know, the, the, the kind of, the opportunity once you put cash in the bank becomes a lot more uh we could be a lot more ambitious once you've actually got money in a bank and you're generating profit so it's like you can then start to do interesting things with the additional capital but without relying on anybody else and i'm a big believer in that like i understand the need for venture capital of course right and i think that some of the businesses we do hopefully will be able to raise because they'll need to like the marketing agency if you look at the model of that the difficulty there in comparison to a realistically other service-based businesses is it's actually not really it's a media buying business so as we increase revenue our costs also go up depending on what our margin is so that can be very um high on you know it can be capital intensive basically so we actually uh, in previous business ended up debt financing because we really had to be able to do that because we were growing so quickly it was impossible because every time we grew our, our costs would obviously increase and we weren't able to kind of to go with that so we'd have to pause and go on cycles to be able to keep up so that's a little bit tougher um but realistically again that whole business was based around how can we actually make profit as quickly as possible um and i don't again the businesses we're building aren't really about sort of building a product and having to sell loads of them and having to deal with manufacturing or anything like that it's very much people based and creativity based is we're basically monetizing creativity in in, in ways so that's very human uh, human thing to do yeah you talked about uh you very briefly mentioned uh media buying versus um sort of a marketing agency can you maybe just touch very quickly yeah. on what the difference is between the two well i mean so the way that we've always done it has been media buying in essence so when it comes to social media marketing agencies obviously some will facilitate basically so that money will flow through them and they will work on a commission or, or other variation of that for us it's always been a case of we actually um work out who to deal with what traders might be going on best placement and everything else yeah exactly so then and then we will go out and we will in essence pay for that and then get paid for uh get paid by the brand afterwards or by the client afterwards which means that there is obviously a window of time when we've outlaid whatever our cost is in comparison to our margin and we have to wait for that money to come in so that's the cash flow issue with the way that media buying works um which is again why a lot of people go to the agency side because barriers to entry are really low all you need is talent and um, then also, realistically, you're working on a commission model. So there isn't anything else. The money comes in, you take your commission, you pay it on, right? Which is what we're saying in terms of differences. Whereas with media buying, you do need cash up front because otherwise, or you need really, really helpful payment terms with your client, which is often very hard, especially for working with a corporate, right? Which is what we found previously, you know, working on slow terms and, and it can kill a business. You can have a brilliant business, it can grow too quickly. And even though you're really successful because your cash flow is kind of, uh, you know, just always behind. Yeah. Basically, you uh, yeah. you know, burn to the wall, which is which is a shame. And collection can be quite hard, right? Collecting the money from these corporates yeah. can be quite hard sometimes. I've heard stories of you know agencies or just companies who have had millions waiting to be collected from companies, and yeah, and that also different regions work differently and so on. So 
can be a real problem if you're um if you're if you need the cash flow to keep going can be a real problem and so yeah debt financing and, and everything else can come into play 100 percent. again it's kind of why i like um the businesses that i'm involved in and, and i do know because realistically they're all dominated by a few small few relatively you know small amount of corporates basically so your client base is actually quite small you might work with different brands in underneath them right but the reality of it is is that your actual back end is all from one corporate so you can actually build you know reasonable terms with them particularly if you're somebody who has that relationship and also you're only dealing with a small amount of people whereas say for instance again going back to the marketing agency thing if you're very much sort of working with every brand then every brand comes with its own payment terms with its own term sheets with its own everything basically so that's a really difficult thing one of the problems we had uh and i think is problem in uh in the creator economy that's different to again music and stuff is that the agents or the managers are actually really put in charge of negotiating contracts so so much of that time is taken up so when you're dealing with a new brand and your seller or your manager or whoever is going out and selling to that brand when you're onboarding that that same individual is having to do all of the onboarding all of the contract negotiation all that sort of stuff is very 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 time uh, intensive and so they actually don't get to do the rest of it so whereas in in music or other well-established um you know entertainment industries you have lawyers and everybody else that's kind of the de facto way that it, that it all kind of works out it's well not the case that in the has a sort of yeah. problems too though i mean working with yes, lawyers is yeah. not exactly the funnest thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know at least you're getting somebody who's you know rather than somebody who's a junior trying to negotiate a contract and it is a kind of problem it's one thing when the contract's a thousand dollars it's another one it's a million quid and you know next thing you know it's the brand suing you because you've kind of left in a a clause you shouldn't have done, right? So it's pretty risky yeah. business, but yeah, yeah. it is what it is. Getting, kind of we're getting it works, to add so. VAT on the on the contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said you're thinking about raising and going in down, uh, so potentially doing some VC stuff. Um, by the way, I mentioned the VAT thing. I made that uh, very, very early on in my career. At one point, I remember making that mistake and just just beating myself up about it. It, was, it wasn't luckily, <laughs> luckily, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't there wasn't too much on the line, uh, but yeah, it was quite yeah. hilarious because uh, I was in charge somehow of handling that whole thing um and just forgot to mention that like just forgot to say there's a plus vat in the <laughs> like 20 percent yeah. thank you very much um so yeah, yeah no i don't do that uh, <laughs> um you started thinking about raising and, and sort of going down potentially having a vc arm or something like that are you thinking for the fund or are you thinking for individual start, uh, ventures that come out of the builder? I think eventually the, the fund is a bit of a no-brainer, right? Particularly when we've got a few things this way and, and it, you know, maybe at capacity is studio level, right? Because studios, are, this is the difference as well. Like a BC fund can have a load of money in it, but can have a really agile small team, like five people, right? Running a billion dollar fund. Whereas a studio, realistically, depending on how you structure it, it can be very... Uh, intense and it can take a lot of time and you need to build teams that validate your involvement with the start of early doors right so it depends on on how that kind of all plays out um you know and and i think the ideal thing at the moment realistically because there are some really interesting people getting involved you know um uh, an old colleague of mine a really really smart and accomplished guy um and and another again really accomplished guy they run a, a fund called creative ventures which looks at this space and you know really really knows no, sorry knows it really really well for instance um, and there are other companies like Edge, et cetera. So there are funds out there that are doing this stuff. And it's like, if we can make our propositions interesting to people like that, then obviously there's opportunity to uh, to kind of go through that um, process. But again, it comes down to whether that business needs it or not. Most of the stuff that we're creating at the moment, A, is it really interesting to people like that because of the way we're building businesses and the types of businesses we're building, but also because we really want to be building profitable businesses we spoke about earlier. So it'll only come down to very rare situations. I mean, 
for instance, there's a platform we're looking at, right? And there's very, very hard to scale that without going through that process, basically. So, you know, it's definitely, like I say, it's a really, really important part of the finance world and the way the startups develop. Obviously, there's a reason it exists and it's so well fine-tuned. But, um, you know, it's not something that creative businesses in the way that we're starting off with have necessarily relied upon in in the past. And we're certainly not looking to do that in the future. I'd rather, I like the, uh, you know, something I've had to come to terms with over the years, to be honest, but... You know, I'm sure my old bosses would all say this as well, but I, I like the freedom and flexibility of doing kind of really what I want. And I don't really like the idea of wanting to rely upon um, other people to be able to kind of get on with stuff. So that's one of the negatives I have around sort of later stage VC. So, I suppose another yeah. thing as well is that once you have limited partners involved who give you the money uh, as a VC, you're going to have a bit of a problem with, well, you've suddenly got a cycle now that you need to follow. They're expecting returns in, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 years, whatever it is um 12 10, 10 years sort of give or take um so then suddenly you've got the additional pressure of making sure that the returns are there and how does it look if the fund doesn't perform and so on and, and it just becomes an additional additional pressure which is definitely fantastic if that's what you want and you're happy to work with that but if you can avoid that and you can build profitable businesses well you know um another another interesting thing you could potentially do so yeah it really depends on your appetite and what you like to do i suppose it makes sense um but also the VC world seems to be, sh- I mean, with us too early, I don't know. There's a lot of talk about it shifting. Let's just put it that way. And kind of moving a little bit more toward uh, like a sort of a, yeah, less risky model in some way. But very curious to keep an eye out and kind of see how that, how that goes and how that moves forward. Venture building, however, is an interesting one because venture building has been around for quite a while now. I mean, it's... Uh, was a plug and play that started out back in the 1990s or something when it comes to tech companies at least. And then 2016 onward-ish, you started having more and more kind of venture builders coming on the scene and trying different things. And uh, uh, the the fellas out of, is it Germany, right? Rocky Internet. Um, <clears throat> let me just confirm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's been changing though. It's been evolving and, and moving in different ways. And Really curious to kind of see how that goes because the a lot of the traditional models have been we build a company, we take 50, 60 percent, whatever it is, they keep uh, the majority and a lot or a large chunk of the company uh, for the venture builder. They validate everything, get everything up front, come sort of ready, and then bring in a CEO or a capable kind of co founders in a team to lead on it once they've validated everything to, to let it roll. But, um, well, the problem with that is that how do you attract very capable co-founders and CEOs when you're turning around and saying, by the way, guys, this is seed stage or what would now be pre-seed stage um, or, or whatever stage, but it's definitely not series A stage and we're keeping 60% or 50% and you just have the rest and let it dilute over time. So, you know, if they're going to go out and raise money as from VCs, then you're talking, they're going to get they're going to, I mean, they're, they're going to get diluted like hell. So they're not going to own that much of the company down the line. So how do you convince them to take that on? But then on the other hand, if you're building profitable businesses where you may not require the funding from the VCs, there might be something else to balance here that, that comes into play. So do you have any thoughts around just kind of all of that in general? Yeah, definitely. Look, I mean, I, I think this is quite um, different in the sense of the types of businesses that people want to get involved with and the type of people they would want to hire. But in entertainment, there are two advantages for someone like myself doing a model like this because one, 
in a lot of the businesses, people aren't particularly well paid. So you get a lot of bright people who don't necessarily come at a great cost to a studio. So we can cover salary, et cetera, and kind of bring them in. But they also get equity, which there is no chance they're getting at a lot of the businesses they work at. Um, there are downsides because a lot, a lot of, you know, very accomplished people in these sectors do get a lot of commission in the businesses they work in, right? So they're already earning a lot of money. Um, and a lot of their business is based around, you know, their lives are set up by the commission they make, basically, rather than building and selling companies. So there are differences, but realistically, they're not the type of people we want to work with because they're already doing what they do. They already have opportunities where they are, and we're never going to compete with big agencies or whatever else they work with, right? as not our aim. Um, so we're looking for different types of people, really. Um, and again, because of that kind of uh, salary base that a lot of people are on, and also the inability to actually build something out that's going to be of any value in these organizations means that there's a hunger for people to come over. So we and it's also it's a business i've been in since i was 16 years old right i know a lot of people and thankfully you know i've i've, I've um you know made some friends in, in in the industry right so so there's a lot of opportunity and for me it's very much a case of also providing opportunities for people that want to push on but realistically don't have so again that's one of the motivations which is probably the same in other businesses about who you get over is people who really want to do something interesting do something fresh where they're not going to get that where they are so are willing to take a bit more of a risk and a gamble on you know salary or whatever else it might be life quality for a moment in order to build something bigger so i think it's also like you can't just be looking for people that are financially driven and are looking to build something that's equity based or, or salary based because they're not going to get that realistically from a salary perspective in other areas in entertainment we can provide that at ventures but you're really looking for people that are very purpose-driven and really want to try and do something new because it also means you're going to get a co-founder that really wants to go on a journey because there's more to it than that. Because otherwise, you're going to get someone who's six months of the way through and think, what is this, man? This isn't even working. I want to go back to my corporate where I was getting paid a few hundred grand a year or whatever, right? It's like, actually, no, we want people that are like, no, this is really what I want to do and I don't want to be in that environment anymore. So what can we do here as part of um, the ventures? And, and I think that's the other thing that you go, you know, going back to your question earlier about the reasons for it and the model and everything is because if you can get a really good entrepreneurial spirit in a studio, then actually there's another motivator for people to be around bright, interesting people that are doing different businesses so everyone can feed off each other's knowledge. So a talent manager at Bermondsey Talent or whatever will benefit from the person who's running the production company and vice versa, right? So you want that kind of exchange of ideas and creativity which you're only going to get from a certain type of person, right? You don't want someone in there who's like that either, right? And this is my little thing and this is what I'm doing. It's like, nah, this is, this is. So we have a very specific type of person that we're after and we have thought about it because it's the definite concern when you sign somebody's up. It's like, how are you going to attract people, right? Um, but yeah, I think again, it's one of the reasons that on my journey of what industries do I want to be in, I always end up back at entertainment for, for a variety of reasons, right? Including to be fair, relevant to this, to this topic of this podcast, obviously, which is that I do think entertainment in general is a net positive out there you know you're telling stories you're delivering something that creates some emotional engagement a song might be the song that someone hears at their first festival or is their favorite band whatever that's that's good stuff to be part of i think so yeah may absolutely i mean you hear the note on the head there and actually i would go even further with it same and i would say that once everything gets automated and and and, and goes i i actually i was talking to a friend of mine about this um we we go on walks in Epping Forest quite a lot. So it's up in North London, beautiful kind of little uh, place. And we talked about this for a little while um, about the um, the importance of entertainment and what role it will play in the future, especially with automation. And if we ever get to a place where we have universal basic income, for example, UBI, what are people going to do? And I thought about it for quite a while and kind of realized. We're just going to want to be entertained. I think it's that's the, the only way we're going to stay sane 
is is if when if people like some people are going to want to work and go and build more and do more and figure things out and that's fine. Um, it, if we do get to a point where we have literally everything being done by AI and robots, let's imagine that world for a second. We're going to feel pretty useless unless there is something that we can enjoy doing that is human in some way at least or whatever. But I just can't see entertainment ever going away in any sort of you know, utopian world we can think of, I can't see entertainment going away ever. Like the only time it's going to go away. I mean, even at wars, you have entertainment. Like people try to laugh about things and entertain themselves to get out of it. So it's such a, it's a weird thing. It's such a fundamental thing to humans to, you know, art and music and, and entertainment and laughter and making each other feel better. So it really, it really is. Yeah. It's, it's such a fundamental thing to humans, I think. Yeah, definitely, man. I think it's a really interesting, you know, way of looking at it. I mean, it's only time's going to tell whether that world appears, right? But I do I think mean, irrelevant, yeah. you know. Maybe not it's, in our lifetime. It's, it's, <laughs> be, no, but, but, but who knows, man? I, but I do think it's really important. I mean, look, every, the majority of people, like, the most sought after job in the world now is a creator, right? And I wonder about how things like that and social media develop in a world like that as well, where, you know, how, how everybody communicates, what they do with their time, you know, the reliance upon that. I mean, if you look at the difference in, say, what TikTok are up to now in terms of SEO, but also in terms of being the, and like, you know, it's full of advisors, basically. Like, you want to learn how to change something in your house, change the tap, whatever. Like, it's going to tell you how to do that, right? And YouTube's been doing that for a while, but it's increasingly becoming your educational platform as well. And so I wonder the role of social media and creators in that world that you're talking about, because, again, I can only see that becoming an increasingly important way of communicating with audiences as a sort of higher creator to everybody else but equally everybody communicating with each other and potentially micro influencers being another way that people continue to make money when everything else is potentially gone and be done by somebody else you know it's like there is something that i think again that we see with the core cases that are coming up now with ai and entertainment but also to do with people like people who watch this will want to see two humans interacting and having a conversation through experience you're sharing stories they don't want to see ai versions of you and i talking about something that's been you know built up in some sort of uh llm unless you know, they don't like, know maybe maybe, yeah. maybe we are ai right now having this chat <laughs> exactly. how would you know <laughs> that would be the right the right dupe wouldn't it? that would be yeah. like build that um, company my friend i will be your first uh <laughs> not just customer but yeah uh, build build that company <laughs> Yeah. Uh, if anybody out there can deep fake me, uh, but with my permission, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> um, I do think that's an interesting one, though, because, um, I mean, that that's a tangent we're definitely going to go on again when we've got AI. But um, on on the entertainment side of things, how important it is to humans, um, you know what? Screw it. Let's get into AI. So let me ask <laughs> you, let me start with this. Let me ask you this, because there's so yeah. much I want to talk about with it when it comes to AI. Yeah, yeah. Let me start with this. How did you feel when, as someone who's in the music industry and has been in the music industry and entertainment for a while now, since you were 16, how did you feel when art became the one of the first things that AI started doing really freaking well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I'm all for this creativity, technology, crossover, hybrid stuff, which is ironic considering what I said earlier about Web3, Web but I really am. You know, I think that there's so much opportunity and I think that, you know, look, I mean... <laughs> my experience of getting involved in music was messing about with synths and having Cubase or whatever else where I was just mashing up different people's music and DJing is the same thing right taking two people's bits of music and then creating your own thing with it or your you know your own blend whatever it might be your own kind of uh curation of stuff you know that is the same principles right so I'm all for that kind of you know melding of of, of kind of creativity and whatever else 
I think there are differences, obviously, in the way that the human, you know, the training, these are the court cases that are coming up again, right? But the reality is that I do think that, um, you know, I've seen some amazing art and I've seen some amazing artists use, again, going back to the NFT thing, I've seen that, but equally I've seen AI be used as a tool. And I think that in terms of sensory engagement and stuff, which is really what art's about, in my opinion, it's about it invoking some emotion or some story or something. I think that AI plays a huge, well, has a, there's a huge opportunity for people to be able to use that. Um, but again, it's this, it's this good actor, bad actor thing, right? I'm all for the idea of AI under the good actor idea of what it's going to be, the utopian AI and all the things that it can grow, open up. But then obviously on the other side, like everything, you, you have you have the bad actor side and you know it's like that that's a difficult one and music's really coming up against it there and i um oh really okay yeah, actually i think in, in a sense yeah 100 percent. in what sense yeah i mean there's there well so like again i talk about production you know um software it's like now you can use ai to um create sounds vocals and then use those to, and everything yeah 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 so it's, it's completely changed that but again that's a tool so that's really interesting but again when someone comes out with an oasis album that's made by ai and it sounds like oasis if you're oasis you're going to be pretty annoyed right so you have all those sorts of things kind of going on and then it's kind of the legal side of it but you've you've always had these battles in entertainment right music obviously had illegal downloads for ages there's always this intellectual property protection element of technology and how creativity the intellectual property that's illegal kind of like buying the element of it and then technology interacts, you know what I mean? It's like, there's always that. Um, and it'll find its its balance. Um, and I think that there are smart people out there that are kind of looking after this. And unfortunately, like, I do think the core cases are starting to go in the direction of the individual and the creator against the kind of amalgamation of, of content that can go into an LLM. I say, unfortunately, not because it, I don't believe in the protection of the individual. Like, I absolutely do believe in the protection of the original copyright. But what I don't like the idea of is the technology being stifled overly you know, like if you look at it, people say this about the EU framework of AI, right? Rather than it being innovative, it's very much protection. But that, I guess, you know, again, onto the sort of macro stuff, but that is the point of the EU, right? So it's a very different mindset around stuff. But I think you need to find this balance where it's like technology is a tool, great. Technology is, a, you know, for artists to use or to be able to create some sort of experience in a gallery or whatever else. I think AI is absolutely phenomenal, you know? To make a deep fake of you or I saying something that we don't want to say, maybe not so great. But, uh, There's yeah. a fine line somewhere. I suppose you're right, though. It is the role of government to kind of like make sure they're being on the safer side, um, just to make sure that, yeah, things are kind of evolving in the right way. Uh, but certainly, it's not something, it's something that we're going to live with and we're going to work with in the long run. I mean, it's not going anywhere. Um, Fascinating to hear your thoughts on this. You're, so you're a, a wizard um, rather than a prophet you know, on on that on that spectrum, <laughs> which is fantastic. I'm definitely more of a wizard too when it comes to AI and technology in general. Um, what I was I was shocked though I have to say when 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 I saw images being created by Dolly like the very kind of very initial things I was thinking damn like no one we all thought art is you know the most fundamental thing about humans. It, never be automated yeah. or whatever and then here we are yeah of yeah what feels like it's funny i think you know yeah i think people felt this didn't they that the most trained people would be the safest when actually like far from it you know the most unique are actually in many ways the easiest to uh, to kind of copy or to replicate you know and i think ai has really kind of had a field day with that um but you know i think it's phenomenal. like i, I just saw something earlier like a, a, an interesting business which oh, i've forgotten the name of now so forgive me but to do with them basically using ai to create um 
you know, platforms like um, uh, Myers but basically platforms where you're able to uh, create your own content, you know, do whatever, like create your own IDs on a podcast or whatever else, right, using AI. Now, I think things like that are absolutely brilliant. Like if you want to create artwork for something and you can go on and you can just prompt, like I do think that is really quite amazing technology. I think that all that happens, and I am one of the believers with this, which is, and also I just think there's no way of stopping it now. So you have to get ahead of it. it, it AI is here. There'll be some restrictions where there are, where it's possible to put them around it right but at the same time like if you're a designer figure out how to use ai pretty quickly if you're a vfx person if you're a musician your producer whatever it's like get to know that tool because not only will it keep you safe but it will keep you one head one step ahead of the competition and it's like uh, that's the thing for me with innovation in general and, and i think a lot of people have varied views on this but for me innovation is really really just amazing and interesting and to be lent into and the more you lean into it the more you give yourself opportunity and the more that we drive ourselves forward right and so i'm a big big believer in all of this sort of stuff but i think everybody has to keep pace you know and uh i think if i could find a way to get you know everybody like the growth in the uk for instance being one of these things if you could find a way to educate and motivate people to see that and believe in innovation and believe in all these things that i think we would all find ourselves in a much better position and people would be more motivated, which is an interesting when you go back to your thing about, you know, everybody being on universal credit. It's like, it's going to be an interesting kind of, there's almost like a fork in the road, I think, in many ways with those two kind of, you know, ways the world ends up. So, I, I, yeah, anytime. Yeah, I know it's an interesting one. I, I think, I, I don't know, I think, I honestly don't know. This is I'm way out of my depth here when it comes to, you know, whether or not how people will behave when UBI becomes a thing. I don't know. I would like to hope that people will find purpose and, and find a way to have purpose and not just be lazy and sit on the couch all day. But I don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, probably, it's like we're, we're, on, we're all on a spectrum of different wants yeah. and needs and desires, are we? I, so, but I think know. ultimately, like, there's always a version of what, whatever will happen. It's almost like nothing is going to be new. It's just going to be the same, but in a different way. So, like, right now you get people that are you know, they just want to sit and do nothing and just chill out and, and you know, just, just about get by. Fine. Like, they're happy. Okay, great. Yeah. Cool. I'm out of there. Definitely. Right? And they get people yeah. that are like, I can't sit still. I'm going to go and I'm going to create a million things <laughs> yeah. to happen and I'm looking at you. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and I think it's just going to be... Yeah, I'm quite envious of the people that can sit still and do nothing, really? to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, man, sounds, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, to be honest. I feel like uh, thinking yeah, about enough. it, I'm, I'll get bored. It's like the idea of like, how can you, how long can you sit down and have a pina colada for like on a beach or whatever, you know, or like sit and watch a movie. Like, I, fine, I'm going to watch movies. Okay, great. After like four or five, and I've done it before, by the way, like, you know, I'm really sick and I'm just like, I don't do anything right now. And you just sit and watch like four or five movies in a row. Like by halfway through the third one, yeah, I can't stand it. I'm not, <laughs> I want to get up and do yeah, something, man. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, I get that. So I feel, but I feel like, you know, the point I was making is that we already have that. And we all exist on different on, on on a spectrum of some sort when it comes to wanting to do something new or wanting to play it safe or wanting to chill out or wanting to just you know maximize whatever it is, and it's just going to be the same, but maybe just just with a different kind of infrastructure or a different setup in some way. So, but perhaps what perhaps what will happen is they will you'll have people who are literally can just not do anything and they'll they'll have basic income and that's fine, you know. At which point, entertainment <laughs> will become even more important because otherwise they'll get, otherwise the you know otherwise I, I can't imagine. I think a human brain will want to be stimulated in some way, shape, or form. One hundred percent. Yeah, person, regardless of their whatever. Yeah, you know? 
Yeah, 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 I agree, man. I mean, I think, you know, look at and, and, and look at all the things that are happening with gaming, et cetera, and all these sorts of worlds people are going to be able to live in again, you know, and so all this. Like, it's phenomenal, the opportunity. Mate, I'm, I'm yeah, honestly scared of buying a console because I know what will happen. Like, <laughs> I'm not even joking. It, yeah. It's one of those things where I feel, I, I would, I, it's so easy to get lost in that. It's so easy to just get lost yeah, in the yeah. world and just go and build crazy things. And then there's so much yeah. incredible things out there now. Like, you know, some of these Definitely, things are so complicated and so deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I hear you on that. I try and avoid downloading any game that's like actually like a real sort of like world game, like, you know, GTA or whatever else, and even Zelda or whatever. It's like, it's all going to be like, you're going to be lost the days or weeks, right? So, and it's funny, yeah, I'm laughing yeah. because I was I watched this meme the other day as well, and I'm laughing because we've all done this, where like you play the game for so long, and then you get to a point where you're bored of going around and killing a lot of people and doing a bunch of stuff. So you start driving really safely and following this traffic yeah, yeah, and like yeah. being really yeah, sensible, yeah, 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 right? Exactly. It's like even yeah. then driving you still the find a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Change it up yeah, yeah, a little definitely. bit. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so with um with AI, again, like, you know, it's been a big role in music. Um a friend of mine we had him on the podcast as well, uh, Justin, shout out to Justin Hackney from Real Dreams, building uh, incredible stuff with AI there. So, you know, they do content production with AI and, and a whole bunch of stuff, music videos and, and all sorts and really fascinating things out there, man, like incredible stuff you can create. So uh, there's one video where they brought, um, I think it was someone's either mom or grandma, like I can't remember which one. Okay. But they, they you know, yeah. he just had photos of her and they brought her back to life for the music video. And it's like, wow, that's that's emotional, you know, that's beautiful, man. Um, there's definitely a lot of incredible things that we, we're going to be able to do with this stuff. Um, and you're saying, yeah. yeah. It's How? a big black mirror, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. How much yeah. of this is, is happening already, by the way, in your in your scene, kind of when you're looking around and you're working with artists and creators, um, what's the uptake like at the moment? Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot. Um, I think that there's, well, there's a mix, right? There's a lot of sort of resistance to it, that kind of protectionist mentality of like, I'm pure, you know, speaking to some record labels, for instance, they're like, we know AI, like, that's our policy. It's like, okay, interesting. But then there's other ones who are like starting up, you know, um, there's actually an incubator going on at the moment, which is all like, how can you use AI and everything else, right? So there's different attitudes, as I think there probably are in a lot of a lot of spaces. But um, but yeah, a lot of people are, are leaning into it. And I don't think, you know, from an artist perspective, there'd be any artist who a producer made a tune out of AI that was obviously copyright legal, that there'd be any issue with it, right? It kind of makes no difference. Like, what's the best product? Who was the best beat? What's the best whatever song for me to be able to... I mean, that's only going to be an interesting one, like songwriting, you know? It's another one where it's like, okay, cool. If you're an artist and you have an AI tool that does, you know... <laughs> that could create songs for you. Like, what's the role of the songwriter in the process anymore? You know, what's the role of the producer when actually if you're just looking for a relatively basic, you know, song, production, whatever, that you don't actually need that if you're the singer. But but I think, again, to your point about this, it just being developing and, and next iterations, that's been the case for a while, right? Again, going back to sample packs or whatever else, it's like, but if you actually want real production, you still have to go to like a top, top, top level producer who really understands everything, you knows, and so it would just become another tool. So yeah, I think that, you know, there's there's a very, very mixed response to it. Um, but, you know, and some of it, unfortunately, I mean, you know, has, has been like quite um, sort of classic where you feel like, okay, you know, this is an industry or, or a, 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 you know, an intellectual property model that is very in its way and doesn't want to progress and doesn't want to push forward and, and allow any other technology on but at the same time there's been equal amounts of examples of like actually people being like you know what if we don't get ahead of this then it's going to be something that really causes us a bigger headache in uh, in the long run so you know that's not always been the case when it comes to, uh, to to music particularly but intellectual property in general so yeah it's good to see sometimes if somebody's looking to build in the space right now 
uh, AI within creative, the creative space, um, where would you recommend that they look? Uh, which areas? Well, look, I mean, again, it's just anywhere where you're going to be able to add value to a creative process. So if you're um, dealing with VFX, it's like what tools can you build? What solution can you provide that's going to make someone's job easier, make their business more agile? Um, you know, same if you're looking at production, there's some really interesting music production businesses out there that are using AI. Again, for the people that we're talking about, I think those are the areas that are that are really interesting from a creative perspective. I think from a business perspective, there's loads of other ones. I mean, I, I've been advising an AI legal tech platform, which I find fascinating. Um, that and, that um, world needs a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but again, you know, going back to the problems about the reason I really like it is because when you have a 21 year old negotiating a million pound contract who has no legal experience, that's not necessarily the way to go. So actually a legal tech platform that mitigates the risk you have there and at least cross check everything is going to be value add. Even if it's not the final solution to the problem, it's still going to be, um, you know, it's still going to help uh, mitigate the risk that you have there. So uh, it'd be really interesting to see, because again, you know, who the customer is there, I think is quite interesting. It's like, is it the enterprise that you're actually servicing or is it the lawyer that's been servicing them anyway, but actually it makes the lawyer's process much more uh, efficient. Again, going back to the point about, it's about creating tools that really optimize people's workflow um, and really get, or give people a competitive edge. I, I definitely think that's that's kind of where it's at. And you are seeing most of the the kind of the, the plays go on there. I think that um, where you were seeing the kind of, uh, the other stuff that's going to be quite interesting is a lot of AI on social media and the difference between are you people watching or engaging with a virtual influencer with AI? Are they engaging with a human? Is there much of a difference? Do people are people willing to engage with you well, know? I mean, that in essence, Spanish a, a company synthetic? proves that people are willing, right? You know, with with what their, their models that they've released. So it's it's really quite interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, you probably you never would have thought that that's the world you'd uh, you probably would have moved into back when you were sixteen and because of involved in music. <laughs> I wanted to ask actually yeah. with, with music, um, what was your kind of what was your gateway into the the management side of things and getting into that? Yeah, um, uh, well, it was basically like I, I I used to you had a lot of friends who were artists, I presume. <laughs> <laughs> Literally knew nobody, man. I, I was obsessed. I used to make tunes and I used to walk around London with a suitcase full of vinyl. Didn't know anybody in the record stores. I used to walk in there. I used to do, no one would take my tunes. So I do, because they didn't know who I was. So I do sale or return, which is basically how you give them the product. And if they sell, they'll give you the money for it. Man, the amount of times I turn up at a record store a week later and they're like, we don't have your tunes, but we've got no money for you. Either. Oh my You're like, God. all right, great. Thanks, man. Yeah. Uh, so, so there was a lot of like rogue, classic, like record store music industry stuff. But, um, and then I ended up like really getting involved with a scene, which uh, I was really into like drum and bass garage and all that as a kid. And that's why I used to DJ. So, that developed two-step and then dubstep and so i ended up managing the first dubstep dj and um ended up running a record label production uh record label publisher and management company where we basically got really involved with, with dubstep really early and uh that gave me some access to some more commercial opportunities i ended up doing a jv with a big management company uh which was only short-lived but that kind of really you know showed me the opportunity and the potential and validated my place in this in the industry i suppose and the rest was just kind of piggybacking off that and just trying to you know, compound the effects of, you know, being good and, and managing to sign decent artists and, and, and get them to where they need to be. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky, to be fair, but kind of, you know, got involved in a scene. Well, Joe, I mean, it sounds like you hustled and, and you got there, right? Like, go, I think you need going to, around yeah. with vinyls to sell them to record stores. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, feel like I'm, uh, yeah. I feel like I'm talking to a, a 60-year-old man, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once, man, my wheel had broken and uh, I was in this record store and I was on my way back to the tube station. My wheel had broken, I had this just suitcase full of vinyl, you know, 
skinny young guy basically and uh, getting chased across an estate for people trying to rob oh my god me. mate jumping onto a tube and getting out of town wow yeah it was it was pretty bad to be fair but it was it was good fun it was good fun yeah, yeah. you learn yeah, a lot from that it sounds like you've been people. driven you've been really driven yeah, yeah, one, yeah. 100%, yeah 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 but i think that's actually one of the things you know the opportunity that arose for me then was around um online community so i use msn messenger to chat to a lot of people Good old days. and got to meet people here yeah. and, and, and the younger um, audience by yeah. the way who are listening to this msn messenger yeah. is like the equivalent of what i guess what whatsapp is today yeah. right i mean that's whatsapp that's, on a computer basically. yeah whatsapp yeah, on a computer I mean, where you had that yeah. connection and you had and, and everyone had to be live at the same time so like it didn't yeah. it didn't ping or send notifications did it right you had to be live to chat no, or something yeah hey, and then oh god damn don't remind me. Yeah, good days. Good days. Get anyway, yeah. and basically wait for the girl you fancy yeah, to come yeah, online and sit there. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and then so yeah, yeah, I got you chat, chat to the early hours in the morning and you know send weird. Well, they weren't emojis, but they were um, these things that you come up on the screen and like knock on the screen. Remember that thing? <laughs> Do you remember the one that used to knock on the screen? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is. It was. Uh, it was, was pretty funny. epic at the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we also had MySpace, which is another man, yeah, right? Course, in terms of the same sort of thing, course. like really early social media, obviously. They, and they, that was very much they music go focused. wrong because you know they wanted to go into the whole music thing, like oh, combination of music, with yeah. social media, and whatnot. But then, yeah, some somewhere Facebook along the way, just came yeah, out and just, exactly. Yeah, I think I, I think that's what it was. I can't really recall what the real. But to be honest with you, I love the idea of. Uh, I think his name was Tom, the guy who founded it, right? And he ended up getting out with like 50 million quid and he just lived the best life. He just got 50 million quid and he just travels around the world doing whatever. It's like he didn't need a billion dollars. Do you know That's what incredible. I mean? He's like, right, I, I didn't even realize. Space. Wow. For like a, yeah, it's a decent amount of money, right? Particularly back in like 2006 or whatever, right? 50 million quid is a bit of whack. So, what did you, yeah, um, yeah. what was your song? Because, you know, in the MySpace profile, you used to have a tune, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing is, it was probably mine. That's the embarrassing thing about no it. No way. It oh, damn. Like okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're really into music, mate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But MySpace was savage because MySpace allowed you to have, I think it was up to five top friends on your profile and you were allowed to rank them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Move them around when someone's been rude to you that day or whatever. Like, yeah. I, just, I want to know yeah. the, the legend that came up with that idea. I can just imagine like they're, they're developing this thing and they're thinking, we're going to let them publicly rank their, yeah. their top friends. <laughs> I mean, you can see how it comes. It comes across as a good idea at the time, right? It's like, oh, you know, everyone can put their best friends in the thing, and that. Yeah. And it actually, it turns into this absolutely savage drama. Kind of like, just the, yeah, the drama on the back around, end of yeah, that. You know, your mate pisses exactly, you off with something. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're getting demoted, yeah, yeah. buddy. You're going to third. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, you get a phone call, being like, what? Well, we're not yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, mate? <laughs> Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, it was nuts though because it was music. It was based. There was, it was everyone based had music, their music, their song. Yeah, there's a lot of music around it, and that was really, really kind of like quite interesting at the time. But then there was another thing called Dubstep Forum, which was an online forum where you had this community, and it meant that this scene went global really quickly because for the first time, really, you had an international um, community of people that were just mad fans of this scene. So Wait, when that was on MySpace or separate? No, that was a different thing. This guy built a, a, a forum. It was. It was. Yeah, it was great. And you could just, so new tunes would draw up and everyone would talk about it and it would talk about scene and gigs we'd gone through. And it really created this kind of like online community that I don't really feel had, had happened in that way before and blown up like that quickly. Because in a couple of years, Dubstep went from 200 people in the basement in Shoreditch, like 400,000 people in Vegas. It was like nuts, man. Um, it was great fun. It was a good ride, you know. Um, but, uh, but that's incredible. So you had of... the exposure really early on. You saw the power of that online presence essentially and yeah. how that can grow, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's that's always been, that, this is the thing. So that's why it's always been a session for me because that's where the communication is. It's, it's all, you know, it's all done that way, isn't it? It has been for a while because we actually had, we were involved with a very large um, sort of uh, publishing network uh, online. And it was a bit of a shame really because we felt they had a lot of potential to be able to do things at a greater scale um, where you could do what Dubstep Forum done, but on absolute steroids, basically. And some people have done that. But again, I think the problem I feel is where the media opportunity comes say for instance with um a lot of publishing accounts on social media for sure because the ambition is to just generate money to get views to sell to brands to whatever the actual opportunity there i think is much greater in terms of how you communicate the right messages and and, and manage news and whatever else to gen z which is where they're looking that's where all of their stuff kind of comes from and i know some companies like news movement etc and there are various different businesses trying to to kind of tackle that approach and how they kind of do those things but particularly in, a, in an era of obviously fake news and everything else. But it is difficult when, again, the majority of the the, the kind of, well, the businesses are run for businesses' sake, realistically, and they're not really kind of like media outlets as such. They're very much just the case of entertainment products and, and selling those through at the same time. So anyway, that's a bit of a aside. Um, no, 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 but it's really, really interesting, man, because, I yeah, like how that will kind of grow over time and how the role of communities now and forums now and whatever that new version is, it is really, really important. Um, do you find... I guess, I suppose, I mean, drops, you know, on Instagram and TikTok and things like that are happening, but are there pr a lot of private channel things happening right now? Like, for example, um, you know, it makes sense for con for creators to have private channels on Discord, Slack, whatever it might be that's relevant to their industry. Is there a lot of that happening at the moment within the creator world? Obviously, Discord is huge, you said, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot. I mean, it's a bit classic, you know, the amount of like WhatsApp groups, communities, whatever else. I mean, that's sprung up and continues to grow by the day, really. I think um, just in terms of closed communities, it's very easy to do and to manage in, in, in that kind of capacity. Um, there are definitely other ones that, that do exist. Um, like, but is that something that you work with artists on? Do you, do, you, do you encourage them to kind of like build a community when you're managing them and say, come on, guys, yeah, get on it? Definitely. 100%. Right. It's so important. It's the thing. The super fan is the buzzword. So the, the moment, question is, right? how He's do I become to... part of the community for my favorite artists so I can go to the after party with them? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, if you keep an eye on our marketing agency in a couple of weeks, we'll be able to tell you exactly the answer to that, to be fair, because that's basically what we're doing. That's literally what we're doing. That's the point of marketing. Brilliant. So, what's it, what's yeah. the marketing agency called? Give it a shout it's out. Co it's called Your Culture. Yeah. So Your Culture. Uh, yeah, yeah. We're launching the brand this week. It's been running for, for about three or four months already but yeah we're launching the brand this week so it's an exciting one man yeah your culture you heard it here guys keep an eye out your culture is going to be launching god damn all right so we're gonna i'll see you at the, at the, the after party with yeah, exactly you know yeah. whoever's on there i love it um who is your favorite I actually, artist huh who is your favorite artist oh that's a tough, that's, that's like myspace ranking man Can't ask yeah, question. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a tough one <laughs> yeah. i will go oh that's a tough one i mean yeah i would be able to answer your so, but yeah no, I know exactly. I'm, well, I'm going to ask you the same question in a second. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to let, let you off the hook that easily. Um, for me, let's choose them by genre. Let's go to like, <laughs> let's choose a few from different genres, right? Yeah. Um, what are some artists that I'm really into these days? I'm listening to a lot of. Man, I listen to weird stuff. Um, <laughs> no, I, re I really do. So one of the artists I really got into for a while and I ended up going and see him, seeing him live. His name is yeah. Balake Sissoko. Okay. Shout out if people yes. don't know who Balagas Soko is, go and check him out. Yeah, we'll check that out. Incredible artist, man. Just this, this kind of like 
Um, I don't even know which part of Africa, which is really bad. Um, I want to say Senegal, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let me just double check now. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Mali. Mali, okay, he's cool. Mali. Yeah, Mali musician. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he plays, I believe it's called the Kora. Yeah, he plays in yeah, yeah. an instrument called the Kora. Okay, cool. Just I'll absolutely amazing. I, I saw him live. Great. I think he did a, a, a Colors Yeah, a yeah. Colors okay, show cool. recently. Interesting. Um, I'll check that out. But then I listened to everything, like from Led Zepp, the old school stuff, all the way to the metal and whatever, all the way to, you know, uh, Little Sims and, and whatever else, whatever else is out there. Um, so yeah, real, real mixed bag. My, um, my Spotify rap this year came with, I think it was something like, basically, yeah, I'm not loyal to any genre or any artist. <laughs> I just have flipped around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. I get that. Right. Yeah, but yes, that's yeah. it. And then. Obviously, back in the day when I was younger, I used to love dubstep and drum and bass as well, man. Like, you know, Screaming Banger, Chasing Stayers, and all these guys. Like, we saw all of those guys live when they were literally just yeah, coming amazing. on the scene, you know, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, it was yeah. incredible. Definitely. Um, what about you? That was a good time. What about you? Let me that, put you on the spot. <laughs> that was a good time. That was a good time. To be fair, man, like, I mean, I think as time's gone on, and I, it's a bit of a soft spot for me because uh, I really wish I'd, I'd had the chance to, to, to manage him. But I love Chasing Stayers. Really do. I Amazing, think right? Yeah. yeah. Always, always have been. One of my favourite shows ever was them at, at Reading just before Eminem. It was, it was unreal. Um, but yeah, they're brilliant and they really lasted the test of time. You know, I think that they're one of those acts. So I love them. And to kind of, I mean, you throw out a really interesting one. So I mean, I, I've quite a Max Richter is somebody that I really like in terms of Ooh, you know, modern cool. classical that sort of yes. stuff. And then yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of a bit obsessed with a, a, an act that is. Uh, I'm not sure where many people will know, but um, Cut Copy. So they're an interesting band. It's kind of like indie electronic with a bit of kind of yeah, with, yeah. That's kind of the best way to describe it. So I, I quite like them, but not to everybody's taste. But um, there's some there's some artists to throw away. But it's such a hard one. It's like a favorite film. I mean, there's it, depending on the day, it's a different one. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those ones. The music is is, is like that as well. So yeah, you really yeah. really can't yeah yeah. Although I'd have to say favorite movies, there'll be quite a few Tarantino ones in there for me. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, just yeah, great movies, yeah. He's an interesting one because that's the sort of person where you could, with AI, like you can really kind of just, next Tarantino film, do you know what I mean? You can see that kind of happening and being able to- Didn't, even, wasn't AI to there a Wes do. Anderson one as well? I, I, yeah, I there's some that's brilliant cool. Wes I mean, Anderson that's, that's so yeah, straightforward, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. you can just, any video, right? Wes Anderson's, Anderson's style and they will put it into that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. I've been a fan of a few of those ones. I think there was a few Star Wars ones that were pretty special. Really? Yeah, uh, yeah some really funny good. Wes Anderson style Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that could be quite funny actually, I can imagine that. Wow, man. Um, you, my friend, since we're talking about music and personal things and all that jazz, you've been sober for a thousand days, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 Give or yeah. take, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than now, uh, yeah, more than. Amazing, yeah. man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to do try dry jan and <laughs> yeah, struggle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It That's is incredible, hard, dude. Yeah, no, That's it's incredible. good, man. It's good, it's good. I've always, I've always done um, on and off. I mean, I did uh, a couple of years in my mid-20s. It was, it was amazing. I just find the... Uh, the clarity of it. And the thing is as well, like I've been involved in music since I was realistically a teenager, right? I mean, I used to DJ like under 18s raves, that sort of thing, right? So, I mean, we've I've been probably partying. met at some point. Probably, but it sounds we, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't even realize. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wouldn't Love, be surprised. London's a small place when it comes to this, you know? Yeah, exactly. Particularly if you're into those sorts of scenes, man. 100%. Yeah. But that's the thing, you know, it definitely partied a lot and I got out of system pretty early. So nowadays, I just don't really have the, uh, yeah, the, the kind of urge, I suppose. But um, yeah. Out of us. 
six years when I in my in my twenties at one point as well. And and I the cl- I really understand what you mean by the clarity. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's funny, it takes like a while to get to it, right? You know, if you're doing CC, I mean obviously you've got it, right? It's like but it is different, you know, the energy levels, the the various things. Like I think it's the closest you can kind of get to living <laughs> to be honest with you, is basically yeah. a couple of movies and just <laughs> yeah. just kind of living healthy. But um yeah, no, I, I do. I'm very grateful for my thousand days, to be fair, for sure. That's incredible, man. Yeah, really, yeah. really, really amazing stuff. Really well done. And uh, I'll try to get, take a leaf out of your book um, at some point. That's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it primarily just like to be more focused and, and, and with work, uh, kind of the clarity side of things? Is that kind of what sort of inspired you to do that? Yeah, yeah, mixture. I mean, I think that when I was younger, I definitely had a lot of that about it. Whereas I think as I got older, well, to be fair, all, all the way through, but particularly I noticed the, the clarity, but, and, and I have been after that, but also I just, I didn't really like um, who I was when I was going to get smashed, to be honest with you. Like I was somebody who, you know, over the course of the years definitely enjoyed myself and like the rock and roll lifestyle seeped into my work a few times. And so, yeah, it was just one of those ones where it's like, there's a mixture of the desire to just not really party like that and also the drive so the negative driver i suppose but then the positive driver of that clarity and really just being i like i'm a bit of, i like being in control like this is one thing about Bermondsey ventures it's like it's my own thing it's like it's my own money it's my own situation i have that same relationship with with health and everything else nowadays where you know no drinking is definitely a big part of that so yeah mate that's incredible yeah. and on the health side of things man like are you doing anything else at the moment because i i actually want to touch on this especially because there's a lot of founders listening in and it's so easy to just, you know, say, F it. I'm going to work 15 hours. And I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. not worry yeah. about my posture. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to worry about my sleep and my food and everything else. But God doesn't make a difference. So I'm wondering whether maybe you can speak to that a little bit for people listening. 100%, and- man. 100%. I mean, I've just started Opus Run Club actually for, to try and uh, push this as oh, well. Oh, I so, saw yeah. a message around that. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're yeah. both part of this partnership, uh, sorry, yeah. membership club. Called yeah, uh, yeah, Opus, yeah. brilliant people. Um, so yeah, yes, I saw people. on there at one point someone talking about running, and I was thinking, damn, I'm not in London. I didn't realize it was you. That's incredible. <laughs> well, when you're over, mate, exactly, you can, you can join. But, they, but, but to this point, 100%. I think this is yeah. this is exactly it. You know, particularly kind of like you know, first time founders or, or venture builders that are there, kind of at the coal face or really at the start of it, or, or as things are exploding. And you know, there's that there's that you know, I need to be around 24 hours a day. I mean, I think the thing I've learned over the years is that. Well, yeah, so sorry, just on that, I felt like the running thing would be a good sort of release and also a social aspect for people to kind of get away from their desks and, and meet other members of this group. But I think that over the years, I've really realized that I don't think, maybe maybe when I was younger, I did. Maybe this is an older thing, as I got older, I can't do it. But I very much am, am work smart, not hard, right? I put in, I made the decisions. I believe in that, like, if you do five good things in a day, it's better than working 24 hours, right? Make decisions, do things. But again, I'm in a role where that's possible. If I was in a different situation, maybe I wouldn't be able to have that kind of, you know, view of it all realistically. But I do still think that, bur- I mean, I burn out. Like, I've got a bit of a point on this. Like, I'm happy to talk about that as well. And it was like, I, I burnt out when I was about 29, 30. I started burning out a little bit before that, actually. Between 28 and 30, I burnt out. And honestly, man, it was like, you didn't know which way was up or down. I couldn't respond to emails. I couldn't do really anything. And in the end, I quit um, what would have been my dream job when I was 16 years old because I just couldn't cope. And I really felt like I was letting the people who had acquired my company down because I just wasn't turning up. And that was because I was working. You know, I'd be at dinner, phone would ring, it'd be an artist. I'd be like, right, I've got to take this. I'd be sitting there while everyone else is eating and I'm messaging. I was obsessed, you know. 
and I was doing well. I was making money. I had all the trappings that everyone looks for. But I can tell you right now that letting people down in the long run and the trouble that I caused myself by allowing myself to burn out was so much more of an opportunity cost for me than taking a bit of a step back and going, no, I need to go on holiday. You don't call me. Or if you want to leave me, then that's you. I don't want to be with an artist like that and setting those personal boundaries. I didn't do that. And everybody lost in the end, right? Including myself. So I, I do think as I started to get back into things and I really sort of started to, because I kicked the can down the road a little bit. I kind of went off traveling, all that sort of stuff, you know, 30, semi-retired, I think I could do it. But then I realized <laughs> actually living on a beach isn't, isn't actually all it's uh, cracked up to be after a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, yeah, about yeah. getting bored or whatever, right? But um but yeah, so I um I, I kind of started coming back to it. And, and for me now, absolutely, man, I, I run every day. I do pretty much yoga or Pilates every day. I mean, I'm up at five. I go to bed at nine. And I value that so much more than anything else. Let me wrong, I still go out on a weekend or I still go out sure, to dinner with friends sure. and stuff. And I'll push that time. But for the most part, I really do that. I do, you know, I've done a duathlon this year already, tend to climb mountains with friends, do hikes, um, do marathons, all that sort of stuff. Because I like setting myself goals and I like having outside of work goals that give me a moment to be like right I've got all this stuff going on in my head about what Burma's Adventures is going to be in five years time and all these mad thoughts about right I'm going to take over the world and it's like actually also I've got this outside of work that's really important to me which is that I need to do a marathon this year or I need to climb X mountain you know we're trying to be Mont Blanc for instance like that's a really cool challenge 15 day hike across across the Alps like that'll be phenomenal and that also is like it's almost like a grounding thing as well realistically to be fair because it's like yeah it's just a different kind of physical challenge i think that i think i think and i really you know a bit of a rant but it feels like now but i really do think it's so important i can't convey this enough to young founders that you know you have to take care of your health and you have to take care of yourself because if you aren't taking care of yourself you can't take care of anybody else you cannot run a company you can't have staff you can't have clients you can't have investors because you will let them all down and you will really regret it basically so sounds quite heavy or morbid but it's it's very true like you've got to take care of yourself so city in today's day and age naked truth is always going to sound heavy yeah, yeah. <laughs> it ain't easy being a founder to be fair you know it's tough work you know the success rate is minor so there is that thing of like i've got grind i've got to be up and i've got to get on I've got to... when i wake up at five i don't go out and exercise i wake up at five and i spend the first hour and a half doing stuff in a house i play some brain games whatever i read a book i have a coffee and at 6 30 i go to the gym i'm a gym for seven i've spent two hours just literally doing whatever i want so by the time the day comes around i feel like i've already had my time so i can go into work ready fresh you know not getting up and rushing and like trying to get dressed and just going straight onto the laptop but i like work from home because i end up on the laptop in my pajamas for five minutes and i turn the telly on do you know what i mean i want to go i want to go to the office and i want to get on and I, I like having that day sort of it keeps me I think this, that's another point of that kind of mental stability is like have those places that are important, you know. Someone told me this to me when I wasn't really sleeping very well. It's like your bed is the place you sleep in. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you're not asleep, uh, you're not going to go back to sleep, get out of bed, go do something, then come back to bed and make sure that your place, that your bed is a place to sleep. It doesn't get mixed up in your mind about, oh, so it's a place to read or to go on your phone or all these other things. So yeah, I'm a big believer in all of that. There is a, a shout out I want to give. We're not sponsored by these guys, but maybe it will be after I give the shout out. Um, but uh, Kurz Gazakt, they're a channel on YouTube that do really awesome videos that Great I channel. used to love watching and I still love watching their yeah, stuff, yeah. to be yeah. honest with you. Um, they did one episode that was called Spaceship You. And they did that, I think it was around COVID times to kind of help people navigate being in one room for the whole time and working, eating, sleeping and everything there or in one apartment or whatever. 
and I just think it's it's a great. I'll put the link in the description for it. Uh, but I think it it's such a good thing to watch and kind of take some of the lessons away because they apply. It's exactly what you're saying. It's like having that distinction between this is my place where I sleep and relax and chill out. This is the place where I you know socialize and eat and drink or whatever. And this is the place where I do my work and I focus and I and I you know go at it. Having that separation makes such a big difference. It allows the brain to just just tune into that mode when you're in that place, right? Going back to what you're saying as well about um, exercising and looking after yourself and, and doing what the stuff that you need to do to be happy and, and be you know sane and then getting on with your work. It's quite interesting. Um, Jeff Bezos was talking about this as well um, on, on a recent podcast where he talks about how he just gets up in the morning and just potters around. He just like, yeah. you know, just makes coffee and <laughs> does nothing really and just yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. chills out. Just like has like, just, you know, takes his time in the morning, just do what he likes. When I was younger, I used to have an incredible morning routine, which I don't have it anymore, but I, I have a pretty good one now, to be fair. But it's I, there's work to do there. But um, I used to get up at five as well. Um, now it's more like seven, eight, depending on the day around that. Um, but I used to get, get up at five, uh, every morning and yeah so go for a jog meditate sit by the fire have a have a breakfast chill out like again it's just like taking that time in the morning to just get into the day and it makes such a big difference again different people have different ways of doing this but like ultimately it's about finding your own flow right and finding your own like how what works for you but one thing certainly man like getting up and rushing straight away for because you have to do whatever it's just a horrible feeling for me. No, I get that. It's just not No, nice. no, hundred percent. I think this is the thing as well. It's, it's not one size fits all. So when people are saying, oh, you got to get up at five and do it 24 hour a day and this sort of thing, it's like, well, no, because some, you might be a night person. A lot of creators I work with are genuinely night people. They will have their best ideas at one in the morning. So if I was trying to force them to be at a meeting at 9am, it's really counterintuitive. So, you know, I think that there are, it is finding your own rhythm. It's the same with all this stuff. You know, some people like running, some people don't. Some people like going gym, some people like eating healthy, some people like, you know, having a cheat day, whatever. You have to find your own balance with it Definitely. all, you know? Yeah. I agree, yeah. but I would say one thing then. I'd say that pushing yourself to do hard things, you know, you mentioned like doing a marathon, uh, running long distance and doing climbs and stuff like that. There is something to pushing yourself to do hard things. And, and it's just like, it's quite hard to quantify, but it does something to your psyche that's quite good for you and my, my at, least, at least for me man like it, like being in the sauna for example and it's and i every part of me wants to get out yeah but i'm pushing yeah. through and i'm staying in and, and, and yeah, i'm getting yeah, into yeah. that zone of like i'm here now <laughs> yeah, like, yeah accept yeah. this yeah. and and just deal with it right and, and just and find peace in it in a way it's like it's tough and you're suffering but find peace in this i feel like that's so powerful being able to do that so and it's something that when i do it I want to do it again and again and again. Like I want to do more of it. And it's not that it's not necessarily because it's painful, but it's because you're able to find peace in it in a way. Yeah, yeah, well. definitely. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I think there it is hard to put the uh, you know, put your thumb on it or whatever. But but you know, I do think that there is something both in the I guess it's like there's a saying, isn't there? It's like sweetness in difficulty or whatever, which is I think is it. So there's like there's the challenge is the one part of it. So it's like you're you're pushing yourself to do something that you you otherwise, you know, that it's hard. But then there's also that thing at the end and it's like you realize that I think there's something to do with that that really motivates an individual where at the end of a challenge, there is something that really is quite sweet, you know? And it's like the same thing with start when you get to that stage and it, there's all sorts of levels of it, right? It might be the first customer that buys your product. It might be the first, you know, 
um, you know, month that you're in the black, right? It, it, anything. It could be the first million quid. It could be whatever, right? But there's all sorts of levels with it. It goes on and on and on and on. But I think that's the thing. It's like, you just because you do one marathon doesn't mean you've done all marathons, right? So it's like, just because you hit that one customer, there's always this thing. And I think that's why I find that or the, the, the parallels of similarities there, where it's like, there is sweetness at the end of it, but then it's like, what's next? And I think that's very positive and motivating in a way, because it's also that like, you know, but, but that's why I think it is about, to your point, challenging yourself. And actually like, if you're someone who likes running, you go out and do 5k every day, like it's still brilliant, right? So don't get me wrong when I say this, but it's like, what's the challenge in it? If you're very comfortable doing that, right? I think it's all about actually, well, what's going to push you further? Um, because otherwise, again, I think that maybe that replicate in your work life where it's like, you're coming in, you're doing, you're doing a routine, you're whatever. It's like, actually, I think what gives you a competitive edge as a founder is like we say, not working 24 hours a day, but it is putting the time in. It might be in thought power. It might be in, you know, manual activity, whatever it is that you're doing, but there is something that's going to give you the, um, the edge there. And I think that's also something I quite like about the running where when you're on a track, you know, on a track day, when you're on a marathon or whatever else, there's, there's something to beat. So if your time is whatever on a marathon, it's like, okay, cool. How do I push that forward? Or there's other people around that give you that competitive thing. And I'm, I'm someone who's quite, um, I don't know like what the right word would be. I'm a bit of a kind of like, um, you know, my, my issues in life have maybe been being that nice guy, right? And so doing competitive things brings out a competitive nature in me that is actually quite counterintuitive that really I think I find helps me in work as well. So it kind of goes that deep with it as well. So I thought that was worth saying because it's not just about doing something, it's about the mentality and the psyche behind why and how that helps you in other aspects of life. 100%, yeah. man. And I, I totally hear you on that. Um, I, again, you know what I was mentioning, the example of pushing yourself physically, um, it's it, it just helps me focus better. I don't know what it is. It just helps me get my priorities straight and focus better. Yeah. I get that. You know, it's, it's, yeah, a, it's yeah. a weird one, but I yeah. don't know how to explain it, but it is what it is. Um, and, I, and I don't think it's just the endorphins. It's not just that the I get a hit at the end of it. That's not just that. It's, it's the... It's almost like the reminding myself I can push through hard shit and I'm fine. And actually, in fact, I'm more than fine, right? It's like, I feel like when you do it, you're like, okay, wow, okay, incredible. And again, I just kind of, I, I don't know what it is, but it just helps me focus better. So um, I guess everyone taps into something different, right? When when they do that sort of thing, yeah. And the competitive edge is also a great one, man. Like finding, you know, finding that competitive edge when you're doing these things, yeah. My my problem is I can get a little bit too competitive when I'm playing competitive uh, <laughs> games. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not not in a sort. I'm very not a sort loser, which I'm happy to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. Right, yeah. but I do yeah, get yeah, very competitive yeah. while while yeah, we're going yeah. to get very competitive. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. I think. <laughs> Mate, I wanna I wanna ask you real quick. I know we're coming up to time, man, and I know we've we've been doing this for a little while, and I really appreciate your time here with us. I wanted to ask you on. Um, you mentioned about working smart. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Just because, again, it's something that comes up again and again. And I personally struggle sometimes. Like, I have to keep reminding myself and putting myself back. I mean, like, right, clear goals, clear objectives. What am I, What is the best thing I can do right now? And so on. Can you maybe talk to us a bit about how you manage that? I think when I was really, uh, you know, I used to say a lot about the cold face of management and multiple clients, business, various pressures. I just really had to learn how to compartmentalize and prioritize. But now what's happened is that things are somewhat calmer in terms of like just incoming drama and whatever else. But um, everything I do has just become, is this of benefit? And it, sometimes I take it too far where it takes me ages to reply to somebody on email because actually I really want to, but it's like, that's not serving me right now. You know, that's a bit of a cheesy saying, but it's true in terms of the way I approach it. So very much for me, it just becomes down to 
goals, you know, but even the goal thing, like I've learned over the years that you can plan and plan and plan and something just sideswipes you and everything changes like that. So I do try and do that kind of like live in the moment, figure it out. So each day, what are the goals? Is this going to benefit where my ideal end game is? And just prioritize that because if I can have a really healthy conversation with somebody that's going to last an hour, um, but it's going to lead to something further along the line, like for instance, a potential co-founder or something or a bit different business opportunity with a big client, I would rather do that one thing throughout the day than reply to all those emails, the majority of which are just maintaining something that probably isn't on the priority list. So it's stuff like that where I've, I, I used to be, I mean, again, going back to all of this sort of stuff, I used to be a bit of a people pleaser and I still can have that. But at the same time, I've really learned that, again, you have to really prioritize what your goals are. And actually, most people don't care that much that you have a reply to them for a couple of days or most people don't really kind of, if it's urgent, they'll chase you, they'll call you, they'll whatever. So it's also just getting comfortable with that. For me personally, that's how I kind of do it. So everything is very much, is this benefiting what needs to be done today? Is this pushing in the right direction? If not, it can probably wait and then I'll get around to it when there really is a quiet time. Um, otherwise, it's very much a case of, okay, cool, like really, really, really prioritize and really put the effort into the things that really matter and don't worry about the rest of it. Because I, I don't know, there's all sorts of percentages that people talk about this, books written about this, whatever else. I don't know the, the ins and outs, to be honest with you. But I do think you get majority of your stuff out of that top 10% or whatever it is that you put time into. So I'd rather really work that top 10%. And the rest of it will figure itself out is my attitude. So, yeah. Brilliant. Wow. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, that living day by day thing, it's um, it's such an interesting one. Yeah. I've been thinking of potentially running an experiment at some point where I take that phrase quite literally, where I literally... So maybe do it for like 30 days or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then literally forget about any big picture goals, forget about any of that crap. Every single day, sit down and be like, right, what am I top? What, what, are, what is the most important thing I can get done today? You know, without keeping in mind like any big picture thing. Just, just kind of see, just kind of see how that would go in a way. Because like, it's always, <laughs> yeah. it's always tied to a bigger thing for me. It's always yes, tied to, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? I'm seeing and working on like a sprint or a, or a marathon or whatever uh, in, in the, you know, the, not in the literal yeah. sense. Um, I wonder, yeah, I think, I think it'd be really interesting to think, the thing for me is that to be honest, if without the bigger picture stuff, what would I do? I mean, yeah. I jump in a car and I go to my parents, I'd hang out with some mates that I've not seen in a while. Right. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's, uh -huh. if it was literally day by day and it was of the moment, that would be my desire in this time. And I sacrifice that. I always have done for work. I think that's a balance that I mean, you can go really deep with this sort of stuff because it's also, that's the thing, the reason why I'm a founder and why I want to be my, I don't want to, I don't necessarily want people I'm responsible to or reliant to because my exchange in life is that I'm giving up X to do this. So this has to be really quite special for me, right? Um, so without the bigger picture, honestly, mate, I don't think I would do much other than just hang out with friends. And so, that's yeah, actually, I need that's that really bigger true. picture. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm going to do this as a thought experiment first, maybe, and then potentially do the real experiment. We'll see. Yeah. But that, <laughs> that makes sense. Wow. Mate, it's been so good having you here. Thank you so much for making the time. Good. Thank you for nice being open and having this chat. I feel like we can go on for ages again. And <laughs> yeah, but good luck yeah. with everything, man, with, with Berman's uh, Ventures. Good luck with all the ventures you're building out there. Good luck with all the marathons, everything you're doing. Hopefully when I'm back in London, we'll go for a run together yeah, as well. Yeah, 100%. That'd be great. Before we, before we go, is there any shout out you want to give to anything that you're working on or anything that's coming up right now? Um, 
Oh, shout out to Opus for connecting us. And, you know, I think they're good people. And it's a great membership thing for, for founders and venture builders. So definitely shout out to uh, Sam, Kerry, and, and everybody there, Gemmark. So, yeah, absolutely. Totally. Totally agreed, man. 100%. All right. Well, see you again soon. Yeah, nice one. Thanks for having me, man. I'll see you soon. Cheers, All guys. the best, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Good For Profit with your host, Mo. Thank you very much for listening. Support us. Please like, share, subscribe, and send it to whoever you think will benefit from this episode or will be interested in listening to it. We are, of course, in the early days and we're trying to grow the podcast. And so every share and every like and every comment does go a very long way for us. So thank you very much for listening. And if you have any feedback, please let us know if you'd like certain topics covered or if you have entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem leaders that you'd like to see on the podcast, feel free to get in touch with us. The link will be in the description below this episode where you can leave feedback and also get in touch with us to let us know if there's somebody you'd like to see on the pod. Even if you have no direct connection with them, just let us know and our team will get on it to try and get them on here. Thank you very much for listening once again and hope to see you in the next one.